0: This is a special edition of the debrief from our friends in the investigative unit. It's an inside look at the deadly child sexual abuse scandal that involves some of the biggest names in English football. Just a word of warning, some of the material will be tough to hear. My name is Kevin Hurton with Al Jazeera's investigative unit. Today, reporter Deborah Davies talking about our new film, Football's Wall of Silence. Some background. In 2016, one of the worst scandals ever to hit British football exploded across the headlines sexual abuse amongst youth football coaches.
1: Well, the scandal of abuse in football is exploded. Sexual abuse in football. The scandal has snowballed. The latest
0: development that shocks the sport. The biggest secret in football.
1: Several former players have come forward. Former England player Paul Stewart. Manchester City and England striker David White. Well, Chelsea is the latest football club to open an investigation. Is the
0: FA willing to look this issue in the eye? So Deborah, our documentary is called Football's Wall of Silence. But it's hard to talk about this without first mentioning that you did a story on this exact same subject 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, in many ways this is a sequel 20 years in the making. So much of what we cover in this new program grows out of what we did in 96 and 97. Then all we had were two instances completely unconnected of coaches who were talent scouts, really good at their job, who were coaching young lads, mainly in the 11 to 14 range. And these coaches were alleged to have been sexually abusing these young players.
0: This documentary is about Barry Bonnell, football coach. Who is he?
1: Bonnell, the word I heard most often was star maker. Bonnell was a scout initially for Man City, not on the books, but part of this world famous network. Imagine you're a dad and this guy comes up to you on Saturday morning and says, Your lad over there, he's really good. My name's Barry Bunnell, I'm a scout for Man City. I run amateur teams. Would your lad like to come and play for me? There's only one answer, yes. One of the first things someone said to me, which has always stuck in my head, all the dads wanted to be Bunnell, all the mums wanted to marry him, all the sisters wanted to date him. This man was charm personified.
0: As a young person who was obsessed with football, you'd see he was bringing you along as a player. He was like a magician. But this Magnificent Seven in particular was a trick where it went right around the body without dropping the ball. I was mesmerised that somebody could do this. I had the flash card,
1: the flash gear, a magnetic effect to the guy. Barry was always telling you how famous he was going to make you. You're going to have the big house,
0: plenty of money. That's how he presented. Hello, my name's Barry Bunnell. I am Manchester City's Northwest representative scout.
1: So Bunnell had charisma, he had power, he had everything going to use that power to get these boys under his control and then sexually abuse them, knowing they weren't going to talk because if they talked, it would destroy their dreams. That's part of the reason it's called Wall of Silence.
0: He's working for Manchester City in the 1980s.
1: He starts as a scout, authorized scout's card even though he's not on the books at city he's clearly got open access to the grounds he waltzes in through the players entrance he walks into the chairman's office he's on best mate terms with their chief scout ken barnes he's constantly taking 14 year olds into the grounds to matches to meet the players it's as if he is part of the man city setup
0: so one of the survivors in the film is a guy named gary cliff He's actually a police officer now. And he tells a pretty extraordinary story about an encounter that he had with Bunnell at the Manchester City football ground. There was only perhaps a groundsman at the other end doing a bit of grass cutting or whatever. We went onto the pitch. The sun was shining and expired his opportunity to take in a bit of sunbathing. We stretched out in our tracksuits and he abused us on the pitch.
1: You abused on the main um, Man City pitch?
0: Yeah. yeah. So he's working at Man City. He's one of their top talent scouts. He's coaching all these boys, and on the weekends, he's abusing them. They're staying over at his house.
1: And school holidays. Can you imagine your son decided to spend Christmas holidays with his football coach rather than his family?
0: The lights would go down. There'd perhaps be three or four boys there, and the duvet cover would come out while we were sat in the lounge. The hand would be down the, your tracky bottoms, and into your pants.
1: A lot of them were bunking off school because, as well as staying Friday and Saturday night, and the reason was supposedly so they could go to football matches with Benel. Quite often they would stay Sunday night and would end up never going to school the next morning, and the parents never knew.
0: They just thought it was dedication to the sport, right?
1: They were allowing their sons to live out their dream for all the best reasons they didn't question. Even though some of the mums had a really bad feeling. One of the mums said to me, this man stole my son and I knew it, but for his sake and his dad's sake, I couldn't say anything.
0: So he leaves Man City sometime in the 80s and he just moves
1: on? For reasons that we never know. We know that the Man City people gave police statements and the police described them as being evasive and cagey and that Man City was a prominent club and clearly they were worried about their reputation. So there's still a lot of fog about what City knew. We knew they'd had at least one complaint. When I interviewed senior Man City people in the mid-90s, Ken Barnes told me there'd been a specific complaint from a dad who said there'd been boys staying late in Bunnell's room off on a weekend trip but they never investigated. And when I asked another of their directors why, he summed it up by saying he delivered the goods, so football let him stay.
0: We should say that City's new owners have released statements offering their sympathy to all survivors, but they won't comment until after their own QC-led internal inquiry on Bunnell's links to the club. Okay, so back to the timeline. Bunnell then leaves Man City, but he finds a job at Crew Alexandra, right?
1: And this seems to be down to his relationship with Dario Gradi. All right, so who is Dario Gradi? Dario Gradi could spot youth talent. This is a man who spent most of his working life at Crewe, which is a low division club, so it has to grow its own talent because they can't afford these multi million pound international players. Dario Gradi knew Burnell from the 70s when they were working down south for clubs like Wimbledon and Chelsea. When Benell is, as far as we can tell, booted out of Man City, Grady gives him a job, this time as a full-time employee, as a youth coach for Crewe.
0: And by the time Crewe happens, the rumors are really starting to spread here. But to be fair, we do not know what Grady knew or suspected, except that he has always said that he had never had any complaints about Benell.
1: It's extraordinary. This appears to have been an open secret across Northwest England among many boys and some coaches. And I make no apology for the language you're going to hear. All the guys I've spoken to say the taunts were widespread. We were known as being Barry's bum boys. That's what
0: people used to shout to us. I was placed with another coach who used to call me names. Benny's bum boy. You're all gay. Benel's gay. You're all sleeping together. We'd also had friends who'd previously played for a lot of older age groups. And the stories were already out there before we came along, you know, five years previously.
1: I've been told it was being shouted by players on the opposite team. It's being shouted by your mates at school who go, you're gay, you're queer, you're only good at football because you're sleeping with a coach. These boys at 15, 16, if they don't make the grade for City, they go to other clubs around the Northwest.
0: Certainly one of the guys who jumps off the screen is someone named Hamilton Smith. He's actually a former director at Crewe. Tell me about Hamilton.
1: Hamilton, you know, in a film full of extraordinary people, Hamilton is an extraordinary man. He was actually managing director at one stage, only for a year or so at Crewe. He says he heard rumors, but there was no evidence, and then he tells the story about going to a match, and a dad from the opposite team came up to him and and said, said, My friend's son was abused by the coach at Crewe Football Club, and you need to know it. Now, I was stunned. That was it. I'd already heard such a lot of innuendo and gossip and rumour and one thing and another, and I had it up to here. Hamilton's instinct was that the dad was actually talking about his own son, but didn't want to say anything. Hamilton was so stunned that in that moment, the man turned around, disappeared into the crowd and Hamilton never found him again. But Hamilton says that was enough for him to go back to crew and demand a special meeting to address this hideous allegation. I met Hamilton when we were making this film and he turned up at the meeting clutching a VHS, the VHS that he'd recorded of my programme 20 years ago. And he said, I've been waiting for the day that the full story came out and that day has now come.
0: Why do you think it's taken this long for people to start paying attention to this story?
1: I think there are two main reasons. In many ways, the programme we made was a failure. It didn't do what's happened now. It didn't crack open this appalling scandal. And I think there are two main reasons. First of all, hardly any survivors would speak. The only face-to-face interview in the programme was this wonderful man called Ian Ackley. He had the emotional, articulate ability to voice what no one else could. He described the detail of sexual abuse in a way I've never heard before or since.
0: And then all types of abuse, um, the masturbation, the oral sex and the buggery, all continued.
1: But no one knew who Ian Ackley was. He wasn't a big star or a known player, so it didn't resonate.
0: But that's rare for a man his age, at the time to be able to talk about it.
1: It's extraordinary for his age. For a man in his 20s to be able to describe being raped and abused multiple times was the most astonishing thing. I think part of it was he'd spoken to his partner. He's clearly a very rounded and grounded, intelligent man.
0: And Ian is back in this film, Wall of Silence. He's a much older man now, but he's a real source of strength for the other survivors who are just coming out now. Um, There's a scene where he has a reunion with a man he hasn't seen in 30 years. The last time was actually at Benel's house while being molested. I'm 48 now. This was when we were 10, 11, 12, even 13 years of age. And you're being hailed and told, you're gonna be a superstar, you can play for all these clubs, this is your future. And, And all you're doing actually is trying to survive as a kid. So I think it's important to point out that these were really good players. I mean, these guys were listed in local papers as the stars of tomorrow. Ian Ackley, in fact, played for Manchester United in their youth system. And he told us a story about how he was playing in a match and he had a meltdown on the pitch, got sent off, suspended for six months. And now in hindsight, he thinks he was almost doing it on purpose because the very act of playing football was bringing back so much trauma for him.
1: He lived in this beautiful village in the Peak District called Glossop, where everyone knows everybody. We went back and filmed him and his dad on the touchline watching a Sunday football match.
0: And we should say this is the 97 film you're talking about.
1: Yes, yeah, so everyone went, hey, Ian, great, haven't seen you in years, mate, what brings you back to Glossop? And Ian would say, I'm filming with that TV crew over there talking about being sexually abused by Barry Bennell. To have the ability to do that and be respected for doing that is fantastic, but he was a man alone. So no one else came out. I remember a previously capped England player who I'd spoken to, not related to Bunnell, but one of the other abusers. He said, I can't come on your programme. Can you imagine what 60,000 fans would chant if I came on the telly and said what had happened to me? What would they chant on a Saturday when I ran onto the pitch? can't do it. So the difference now is first Andy Woodward, who'd been a professional player at Crewe, came out. Then immediately another Crew colleague who was very well known, who was famous as one of their child prodigies almost, Steve Walters, came out. And then two former England internationals, Paul Stewart and David White. And suddenly this whole wall of silence crumbled. Suddenly it was okay. The big name, Big tough footballers to say what happened to them. And bit by bit, other people have come out. And these are boys who have grown into men with this hideous secret festering in their souls. One by one, they've reached an age where they can talk about it. They just didn't have the language as 10, 11-year-olds to do so.
0: This film is, yes, it's about Barry Bennell, but it's really about these men. This is about the long-term impact that they've suffered. In fact, you talked to one survivor who had the psychological effects of a hostage
1: victim. One of these men has now been formally diagnosed with something called enduring personality change due to catastrophic event. That's the kind of diagnosis given to people who've been forced to kneel and had a gun at their head. To people who've been in really catastrophic air crashes seen dozens of people die around them
0: he has a powerful scene where he sketches out his mental state i mean these guys are really living day to day at some points they have good years they have bad years and unfortunately one of the effects is suicide
1: yeah, i remember walking back in kind of a strange kind of halfway house kind of mentality so no No thoughts about what damage I could potentially cause by doing what I was going to be doing. Go to the garage, couldn't find a rope. What could I use? That was going to be it. Why wasn't it it? Because it snapped.
0: So he's talking about going into the garage and trying to hang himself with something other than a rope, which thankfully broke. So he's still with us, but unfortunately some of Bunnell's players are not.
1: One of the things I heard right at the beginning was a series of names and a series of rumours. Oh, we think this guy's dead. We've seen him down and out in Manchester recently. He's a drug addict. We heard someone else had committed suicide. One of the things we did was to track these deaths. We know... There are at least four, but at least one of the rumours was wrong. He hadn't been seen down and out recently. This was a lad who died aged 20 from a drug overdose, more than 20 years ago. Another man went to the police with reported abuse, but he was always so drunk they couldn't get a formal statement from him. Before they could, he died of long-term alcohol problems. So these were lives that were ruined by drink and drugs and all the guys I've spoken to who've survived have all come very close to similar problems. So that was a pattern. And then there were suicides. This one lad that we know killed himself in his mid-30s. We don't know that he was abused, but his family believe he was. All the signs were there. And his mum is extraordinary in suddenly putting the pieces together. That day I saw it go across the screen, Barry Bennell is arrested. It came right in my head straight away that Mark went away with him and had something happened. I just, I just collapsed. My whole, my whole being just...
0: So we should probably talk about Gary Speed now. Um, He's clearly Bunnell's most famous pupil, and I think this will be hard for a lot of fans of the game to hear.
1: Gary Speed was just loved across the game. He was a Premiership legend. For a long time, he held the record for the number of Premiership appearances. He played for Everton, Leeds, Newcastle. Then he was a Wales international, Wales manager. He was just a really nice guy, and people liked him. And late in 2011, he appeared as a pundit on a TV show and hours later, he hanged himself in his garage at home and nobody has ever known why. And because we named him 20 years ago without any hint of a suggestion that he was an abuse survivor, we named him as one of a number of players to show that Bunnell was this star maker. Here are several international players discovered by Bunnell Gary Speed is one of them. But the minute he killed himself, people remembered that programme. The rumours began. Was he an abuse survivor? The family have always said no. The family said he was too clever, he was too strong, he'd never let that happen to him. There were horrible rumours about the state of his marriage, about his sexuality all kinds of nasty stuff, which must have been really hurtful to the family and no evidence of anything. Right from the beginning, people have said to me, Gary was abused. And they've said that because of Bunnell's hideous habit of abusing several boys at the same time and not hiding it. On a few
0: occasions, Gary was in the same bed. Barry would abuse one of us, then turn over and then abuse the other.
1: You were absolutely certain that Gary Speed was abused by Benell.
0: 100%. Well, 99.9%.
1: Because you were literally both in the bed at the same time?
0: Yeah. You don't actually witness it sight-wise, but basically the same process is happening to that other person. So I should say that is actually the voice of an actor reading one man's testimony because of the incredibly sensitive nature of this subject.
1: We've called it Wall of Silence, but that wall of silence enclosed a huge open secret. So at any one time, half a dozen boys can tell you who the other boys were who were being abused at that time, because at the same time as he was abusing one, he'd be grooming up a younger boy, because once they got to puberty, he wasn't interested. So if you were 13, you would see the 11-year-old being groomed, and you would know the 14, 15-year-old who's being phased out as being one of Barry's specials. So it was horribly and tragically inevitable that Gary Speed's name was going to surface. And it has, with first-hand testimony of people who saw him as one of the special boys, even being there in the bed at the same time, because Bunnell would sleep in the middle of two boys and abuse First one, and then the other.
0: And I think a lot of people are going to focus a lot on Gary Speed in the wake of this doc. The point of this is that as boys, they were all the same. Just young players trying to make it.
1: The idea that there's anything shameful, that any shame should attach to a survivor, is so wrong. Gary Speed is one of so many boys who did nothing wrong. The blame is on Benel.
0: And the wall of silence is breaking down. And that means a lot of painful things from the past are coming out.
1: I think the decision to include Gary Speed is one of the hardest I've made in nearly 40-odd years of journalism. It hasn't been my decision, as you know. I mean, we've discussed it, haven't we, as right. a team for the last year. Absolutely. The rumours have swirled for 20 years, and we now have the evidence. There are people who say, I was there, I was a witness. They say they want his family to know because the family themselves have said they've got no closure, and this can help them with a reason. There are people who say that one of the few good things about celebrity is that celebrity can make noise on behalf of other people. Here is a high-profile individual who is everything that is not a victim. Here is a powerful, successful, brilliantly talented sportsman. And if this can happen to them, it can happen to anyone. This is not about being some little boy who allowed himself to be abused. So for all those reasons, for demolishing these terrible myths about sexual abuse, we, well, we just struggled so much and we've all come to the conclusion in the end that we couldn't not name Gary.
0: If we didn't name him, we'd be part of the wall of silence.
1: Yes, I mean, to do justice to all their stories, we had to mention suicide and we couldn't mention suicide without dealing with the rumours about Gary Speed. And the final thing was that his name came out in court. So one of the witnesses, not one of the complainants, he was a witness, one of the men for whom Bunnell has already been convicted, he was a witness for two of the new cases. The defence was basically haranguing him, oh, you've made this up, this didn't really happen, you're exaggerating, and he just let fly and said, you know what? I'm sick of living with this. I can tell you the impact it's had on me. I know that at least four people have died." And he then named Gary Speed, and it was instantly headline news. So the power of Gary Speed's name is enormous. We just couldn't ignore it.
0: So a bit of background on the legal side. Barry Bunnell has just been convicted for a fourth time. He was first arrested in Florida in 1994 for raping a boy on a team trip there. And when he returned to Britain, he was arrested again. He served part of a nine-year term, and then there was silence for the better part of 10 years.
1: So in 2013, another player, an extraordinary man called David Lean, came forward and told police that he'd been abused. Bunnell was arrested and later convicted on that one charge. David Lean is, I have so much respect and affection, actually, for all the guys I've met over the last year. David Lean's story grows again from the programme that I made originally. In 97, these guys were all in their mid to late 20s. Most of them were grown up, starting to have young families, and they watched the programme. They watched, some of them people have said, with their hands over their faces going, this is my story the first time someone is telling my story. But of course their parents watched it too and went, hang on a second, Barry Bennell, isn't that the guy who coached you? Didn't you go and stay at his house? Please don't tell me that something happened to you. And that's exactly the conversation David Lean's mum had with him. He'd spent only one weekend with Bunnell, but over that weekend he was terribly abused. So. David's mum said, please tell me nothing happened. I couldn't live with myself if it had. And as the loving, dutiful son that he is, he said, don't worry, mom, nothing happened.
0: Right, so he waits until his mother died to report the abuse. And there's an emotional scene in the dock where he's sitting in the car and he realizes the impact of not just telling the police, but then having to go back and inform his family just sort of disintegrated in the car for 20 minutes. And then... you sort of realise... <laughs> that you... that you've told the police, which is, like, people you don't know, um, but you're going home to tell a loved one, which is completely different.
1: The other thing worth mentioning about David, he waited until his mother died because he didn't want her to know. But in the opposite way, he needed his dad alive because his dad was the witness to having taken him to Bunnell's house. So between his mother dying and his father on his deathbed is when David went to the police. And he timed it so that his father would live long enough to see the justice, which is what happened. His father passed away just after Bunnell was convicted for a third time.
0: Our last proper conversation alone together, he was apologizing to me again. Um, which, you know, I'm watching my dad die and I'm I'm saying you don't know, need to apologize. It was nothing nothing to do with you, it was not your fault.
1: It's not just the impact on the survivors, it's on their parents who have the guilt of unwittingly delivering them to a paedophile. It's on their wives who've lived with a man and always felt there was some dark secret that they didn't know.
0: So how did the FA react to this story 20 years ago?
1: Oh, the FA were appalling and I'm not sure they've mended their ways. First of all, they wouldn't speak to us. As you probably know, we're not allowed to doorstep people until they've said no.
0: Yeah, doorstep is what we call an unscheduled interview.
1: Is it? It's when we say, Kevin Hurton, my name is Deborah Davis and I'm demanding answers. So we send a polite letter to the F.A. I think they either never replied or they said no. So that then gave us clearance to doorstep. I spend several hours in the rain, standing outside the FA headquarters on a freezing cold winter morning, waiting for this man that we had written to so he knew what it was about. I explained who I was and he barely drew breath and just swung past me. We wanted to ask you about the FA's attitude to prevention of sexual abuse of children. Unfortunately for him, the FA had this glass door, which meant that we could film him walking all the way down the corridor.
0: But not only that, I mean, they did stuff in the press too.
1: They planted a story in one of the national papers, the Daily Mail, before the programme came out to, to try and undermine it in advance, claiming it ignored the facts and that child protection was an absolute top priority for the FA. Then after the programme, a whole series of things happened which indicated that was a nonsense. They had a research project on all kinds of abuse which they scrapped, deciding the money should be spent elsewhere rather than look at child protection. They ignored Hamilton Smith when he asked how much they knew about the abuse at Crewe. There was really never any indication that the FA took this seriously. Manchester City are my team, but This isn't about football. This is about abuse. If people knew about it, they need to be held accountable.
0: The cynic in me realises that he was producing a production line of talent, which was enhancing Crew Football Club financially, because these players have been passed on to good clubs for enormous amounts of money. I think it's disgusting. How can you possibly put the care and welfare of children to one side for bringing a, a possible star? Into the game, and that's just them purely about greed and money. There has got to be a, an awful lot more scrutiny. It isn't happening. And as long as it isn't happening, there'll always be a false. This is a tough subject, and I can understand why people would shy away from it. But I think it's actually a pretty inspirational film. You're kind of proud of these guys. I mean, They're struggling every day with this, but they really are overcoming it.
1: Oh, it's been an absolute privilege, it really has. I've got to know them reasonably well, some of the mums and dads, some of the wives, and it's taken so much courage for them to come out and be part of this new campaign. You know, some of them have basically turned their lives over to campaigning now for protection in sports, saying this is never going to happen to another generation.
0: I'd like to remind everyone the film is called Football's Wall of Silence. You can see it on YouTube right now. Or you can go to our website, aljazeera.com investigations, where you can check out all the other investigative documentaries we've been making as a global team of investigative journalists over the past five or six years now. A lot of interesting content there for people who like investigative journalism. So thank you for listening.